the individual orangutans that we save and give the opportunity to live a free and happy life is a lifetime achievement of, of, of immeasurable value. Your positive, positive, positive imprint. 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 Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint. Well, thank you so much for listening to all of these amazing and exceptional positive imprints. I'm Catherine, your host of the podcast, Your Positive Imprint, the variety show featuring people all over the world whose positive actions are inspiring positive achievements. Exceptional people rise to the challenge. Music by the talented Chris Noll. Check out his music and learn so much more about his background. Download his music at chrisnoll.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-N-O-L-E. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram, Your Positive Imprint. Connect with me on LinkedIn. My website is yourpositiveimprint.com. You can listen to the show from my website, yourpositiveimprint.com, or of course, listen from any podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or simply your favorite podcast platform. Enjoy the show and get inspired to activate your own positive imprint. Your Positive Imprint. What's your P.I.? Leif Cox made a life choice based upon not having animals suffer for him. Leif began his career with the Perth Zoo in Perth, Australia, where he met, observed, and interacted with many of the animals. Through his zoological journey, he discovered orangutans and their intelligence. There is so much to Leif and his work throughout the years— First, he has several academic qualifications as a zoologist and biologist. His research is peer-reviewed. He has worked and continues to work with species management programs worldwide while continuing campaigning and lobbying for animal welfare in the wild, including the Orangutan Project, the International Elephant Project, International Tiger Project. He is dedicated to habitat protection. Leif has a passion, and he says it best. My work with the zoo had instilled within me an ironclad determination to make a practical and lasting difference for all orangutans and other beings on the planet. And I am so honored and so thrilled to bring Leif Cox and his positive imprints to you. Leif, <laughs> welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Oh, thank you. I'm excited. I've read. I'm still in the process of finishing one of your books and learning so much about everything that you've done and have gone through, but have also gone through with the orangutans, along with mm -hmm. the people you've journeyed with, which is really important. And you're mm -hmm. bringing a wealth of knowledge, not just knowledge, but research for generations and generations to come. You started so young with mm -hmm. your journey. And I, I know there's a quote that you used, which I really, really liked. What you seek is seeking you by Romy. Leif, let's start with your absolute passion. I was working with um, 15 orangutans, as you mentioned, and then discovered not only that they're wonderful beings, but they're self-aware persons. 
that don't belong in captivity. In fact, they don't do well in captivity. And they can only um, thrive while living in their own culture and communities in the wild. And of course, at the same time, discovering that their critically endangered species being driven to extinction by having them individually slaughtered on a mass scale. And, and therefore that started on my journey to save the orangutans, but not only in doing that, helping save other living beings such as tigers, elephants, indigenous human communities, and of course, protecting the habitat is one of the most effective things we can do to mitigate climate change. Oh, absolutely. Working with animals in captivity was a journey for Leif, but through his research and observations, he grew from that knowledge. There's two things. One, we need to base our information on facts and knowledge and open to that knowledge changing with new information rather than being set on our ways. But in particular, you, 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 we discover, let's say, in any in industry, there, there's kind of a cult-like atmosphere with the human ability for cognitive dissonance. And so there's an inability for a organization or uh, association like zoos to understand what has changed about knowledge about keeping animals in captivity and grow out of that. Because you're basically trapped in a cult with people with reinforcing ideas. And those who challenge those ideas are often excluded and persecuted because that's affecting the integrity and survival of the tribe. And so it, in some ways we have to become as um, in, more enlightened, and, but in other ways we have to overcome the natural tribal evolutionary tendencies which keeps us trapped in these false paradigms and not to be afraid to grow, you know? So that is so easy to talk about, right? How do we change that mindset? Because it can't just be one person or two people or three people that are going to change the world. We have people like you in the field, of course, Jane Goodall, but there's so many more people out there. So how do we change that mindset? Yeah, no, it, it, exactly. It's difficult at one, at one point is an example. I was, went to a zoo and, and they showed me their orangutan. And I, I said, well, oh, your orangutan is really mentally distraught and not doing very well. And the zookeeper said, looks all right to me. He's perfectly fine. And, Actually, it looks just like that orangutan down there at the zoo down the road, and they all look and act the same. And of course, you're absolutely right. <laughs> it's a bit like a, I don't know, prison guard in describing how humans behave based on their only experiences dealing with, you know, violent criminals or people who are in very unusual and stressful situations. And so it's very hard because from a very early stage, when I started working for orangutans, I would go to the wild look at them in a while, rescue them, you know, and then you know, and start their journey in captivity. So I had a very different perspective. I was coming back and comparing two very different animals, which most zookeepers don't have the ability. Their experience is extremely narrow, you know, and, and the fact that the orangutans were dying far too early, are mentally stressed and had all sorts of problems, just seemed normal because you didn't have that context. And, and so it's, so there needs to be an expansion of understanding. And of course, being in the zoo industry, they set themselves up in the public as the experts. Yeah. And therefore it's very hard for them 
to the inner set outside new information and the fact that they may not be doing right or the future may not be what their expertise are in. It's very threatening. Therefore, they need to exclude all that information and, and actually deny it. This is why it's not possible to really make really um, good things happen in the world unless we can reform the world, unless we reform ourselves, you know, become less egocentric, more loving and caring inside. And then we're more open for new information and new change. We can't reform the world unless we reform ourselves. But on the opposite side of things is we have to be fearless with our advice and knowledge and not be afraid to to speak um, truth to power. But we also have to do that in the most loving way that we can do because we want people to change their minds to come along the journey, you have to provide that loving space to allow them to change because they're automatically, even just by the nature of the information alone, will feel um, they have to defend it. And if they're in a cultural cult where all others need to defend that paradigm, there's no possibility of change. But we can chip away with it if we constantly provide information in a loving and caring manner and allow the opportunity for for people and organizations to move forward. You have seen life for an orangutan in a zoo in captivity. You've also worked with them in the wild. You have released an animal that was bred in captivity. Your journey is incredible, truly Mm. incredible. And the knowledge and the research that you have is extremely informative. Yeah, yeah. So in general, I, I, I think it's like having two wings of the bird, knowledge and love. And if you have one of those wings broken, you go around in circles and you don't achieve anything. Both are necessary to achieve meaningful outcomes. One of the most wonderful experiences I've had many times is being with many orangutans when they're given birth, which is a wonderful experience. They're the most loving mothers. They suckle the infants for eight years. But at least for me personally, different to maybe how other zookeepers interact with the orangutans, because they're seven times stronger than the man and they potentially could hurt you. They always have a cage between them and a big yellow line on the floor. Don't go beyond this, otherwise the orangutan will get you. But all my working life, I just walked in with the enclosures with the orangutans and then been with them from birth until bringing some of them back to, to the wild. So it's a very different relationship you know, to take those bars away and, 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 and have that personal relationship with them. And one of the most wonderful experiences I've had many times, within 48 hours of the baby giving birth, the mother always takes a little baby's hand and makes it hold my finger. And so you get that very early connection with this beautiful little life that has just, you know, come into this world. Which is incredible. So. People around the world, most people, will never ever have that experience. So how do you instill that love and protection or conservation, preservation? Yeah, I mean, maybe I need to categorize what what love really is. Love is the external expression of your joy into the world. As you know, if you're unhappy, you make the world unhappy you snap at it. But if you're happy, you want to share the happiness. You want everyone to be happy and, and joyous. 
And so often what we call love is just a modification of selfishness. You may love your husband or your wife or your family or community or your country, but it's all about exclusion of others. So it's outside your boundary of what you call love. Real love comes out and has no boundaries. And so that needs to be what is expressed. You connect with the beauty in life. You connect with those things. And not only you're spreading the joy out, you can see that connecting and, and flowing back to you. And, and orangutans are a perfect example of this because in many ways they're a more noble form of person than the human being. They're not capable of the horror that human beings are capable of. There's so much horror and destruction. Orangutans don't have that side. They're not capable of looking at another being and wanting to destroy them. And this is probably because they have this beautiful, nurturing, loving upbringing, which makes them very confident, independent, and self-assured in themselves. So they're not very needy. They can really just express them themselves as pure beings. But of course, the other part of your question is, well, how can people connect? Well, one of the things I always recommend is come on one of my tours where we go into the jungle, which is like coming home, <laughs> you know, because we're involved in the jungle and had that experience. And to see orangutans in the wild is, is one of the most rewarding experiences we can have and, and connect with it. It's kind of irrelevant. One of the popular things people want to do is save the whales. But how many people have met a whale? Right, Probably right. a very small fraction. It's necessarily just knowledge. Every child is mad about dinosaurs. We've never seen one. <laughs> and they're passionate about it. And so through knowledge and connection, we can feel that, that we can expand our love to the most vulnerable persons on the planet. But because they're not from this species, they have no rights. And so the most, in fact, the most vulnerable persons on our planet and, and therefore needing so much compassion, love, and immediate action to avoid them from becoming extinct. And as mentioned, these things are all win-win for climate change, indigenous communities, all the other biodiversity. But to circle back, a life of selfless action and compassion for others, even those who can never give the feedback to us, never reward us, even with a thank you, or anything that actually ends up to be a life of, of absolute reward and fulfillment and so as we grow we extend the compassion beyond people and beings that we never even met we, we, we find that there's, there's increasing reward not in name fame money or power but in happiness as we become less and less selfish and more and more selfless that's certainly the hope for tomorrow. There's people all over the world, they really are seeking peace. Leif recounts Tamara's story from captivity back home into the wild. Yeah, yeah, Tam Tamara. I ended up facilitating the structure to really three orangutans from the zoo. And Tamara were the first one. In fact, the first zoo-born orangutan to ever go back to the wild. And so, yeah, just taking on a journey from birth, being with her since she was born with her mother, Puttery. Then when she's at the natural age of dispersion, we, we made this huge fig tree <laughs> in, the middle of the, you know, in the middle of the city, this huge fig tree that we, we had a living in. And we put all the food and fruits and we had a making night nest. And, and we started 
speaking Indonesian <laughs> coming in and, and basically starting the journey there, then transporting her to Indonesia and then keeping her in, in, a, in a cage for two weeks as she climatized. And then we would go out every morning, bringing the food into her, finding the food and bringing it into her. So she would learn and looking at all the different monkeys and insects and eating all the food. And then, of course, you know, the real journey starts when we open that cage, you know, and, and we let her out. And then myself for the first bit and the Rangtang Projects, project manager Kylie was with me. And then eventually we handed over to in, the Indonesian technicians who then followed her for three years and until she was able to totally survive on her own. And then, of course, I had the privilege of going back to the jungle that we are protecting with wildlife protection units we fund and actually holding her hand in the forest for the first time as two free independent persons mutually connecting in in a home environment. Isn't that such a remarkable story that just brings your work and working so hard to free them so that they continue to be free the rest of their lives in the wild? Orangutan, that is particularly interesting to me as to the name and how ancient the name is. Mm-hmm. Orang is a person and hutan is, is forest. So basically it mean, means forest person. Yeah, so that's the Malaysian or Indonesian language. That's been common use since early Dutch times in, in, in Indonesia. And then the DNA, that is something that we forget. We learn it in high school, we learn it in college. But then we forget when we walk out what our DNA percentages are with the primates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's two things. Obviously, we're a, a, a close relative of, of the orangutan. But more importantly, we're both persons. Mm-hmm. And I just quickly describe what that means. A person is um, when there's consciousness which experiences the world, you know, through thoughts, feelings and, and experiences. At a certain stage in in the evolution of the mind, the concept of individual identity comes up and connects the experiences of the past, present and future in the continuity and develops this concept called I, the the ego, the self-individual identity. This is in a sense symbolic of, let's say, in in the Bible of the apple of knowledge, where they eat the apple of knowledge and suddenly become self-aware. They know that I'm this body, I'm naked. And of course, what happens then is they get expelled from the Garden of Eden and have to suffer because, as we all know, the vast majority of our suffering is mental. So we can be living in the lap of luxury and the anxieties about the past and the worries about the future cause us suffering. Rangtangs have a very self-aware sense of individual identity. This is why it makes it so much um, more important that we don't kill them and destroy them and make them suffer and the reason why they can't be kept in captivity humanely because persons including us don't do well in captivity because we need to control who when and how often and how we can and projecting ourselves into the future we know that animals all over the world are treated inhumanely and they are killed in horrific manners but we can't just be reactionary 
become active as you did. Yeah, I mean, there's two elements to this. We have to reform ourselves and we have to have personal integrity. We can't be saying we love animals and have them killed and eaten for the pleasure of their taste. Ultimately, it's for the benefit of everybody because animal agriculture is causing what, one third of climate change and destroying the rainforest. And so we have to, one is have that personal integrity. But the, the other aspect to it is, in order to achieve anything meaningful, we have to collectivize. If I just become the most environmentally friendly, you know, individual and sit there and think, well, it's not me, it, the world will still be destroyed because we have to collectivize to make meaningful actions. And so the orangutan project is, is about one of those collectivizations and saying, okay, as individuals, we have to have the individual integrity in action, but in order to make the meaningful change, and we've only got 10 years to do this, climate scientists tell us, and this is the same situation for the orangutans and the rainforest. After 10 years, these ecosystems and the climate will start collapsing on, on top of itself. So we are living in the most important 10 years in whole of human history. Over hundreds of thousands of years of species has survived and existed, and we can't pass that obligation on the future generations because it'd be too late. And so we have to intelligently collectivize now to make the meaningful changes. You know, in this case, for us, it's about saving the orangutans, but in that process, intelligently saving the orangutans for the benefit of all, we are doing probably the most cost-effective ways of saving the planet, cost-effective ways of supporting women's rights in communities, cost-effective way of supporting indigenous communities and biodiversity and the economic future of Indonesia. All those things come along with it because love and compassion for other beings is a win-win situation from the individual to the, to the whole planet. And selfishness not only helps destroy the planet, eventually destroys the individual that seeks to gain through selfish actions. I congratulate you for the way you live your life. Your message is one of compassion mm -hmm. and not judgmental. Yeah, I, I think that's very important. We have to judge but never be judgmental because in, in essence, who we are, we're all flawed individuals. There's no perfection in creation and so for us to judge others is, is not right but also not effective in making meaningful change but in in a broader context of what we're speaking about we don't have to give up anything if we take up the higher the the lower just naturally falls off if we take up the mantle of love and compassion the desire for meat it falls off if you find happiness within yourself, the desire for alcohol to numb yourself temporarily just falls off. It becomes, well, what, what's the point? In fact, trying to give anything up is always impossible because there's a natural resistance and we're fighting ourselves. But if we take up the higher ideals in life, reform ourselves and find that love and joy and, and self-service to others, all that stuff just drops off. And others will, in a sense, look at your life and go, Oh, you live a life of sacrifice and giving up things for the cause. And of course, it, it could be farthest from the truth. You've picked up a life of selfless service with full of joy, happiness and reward. And those things that people think are important that should make your life happy are just meaningless to you. They just fall in the way. And of course, it's the opposite. Sometimes 
people try to reform the world without reforming themselves. Mm-hmm. Two things will happen. Eventually, their desire for name, fame, power, money will start destroying it because they're fighting all the other people. They still need at this very selfish, painful level, this reward from outside to keep their egos going. The other thing is they might feel to themselves, I'm sacrificing so much, you know what I mean? And then they get resentful. I've sacrificed my life. I could be earning more money. I've done this and, I'm, and I haven't got any respect, reward or money. And, you know, this is how they end up resentful at the end of the process. And that's not the way. You end up destroying everything you create. The, the true path is selfless surrender. So it's a win-win situation is what I'm describing. And that's everything we need to do from, I will say, it's not wildlife versus people. It's not the environment versus the economy. It's not about you giving things up and suffering for others. Uh, what I'm proposing is, is this possibility of this is a win-win for you, what you're trying to achieve and how you collectivize with others to achieve some meaningful impact in the world and the entire planet. When I go into stores, I read the ingredients. Both my husband and I do. We're very conscientious about what we purchase. And so that brings me to the palm oil. Palm oil, to not have it at all, is not a solution to saving the orangutan. How are we going to move the populations forward? Leif explains indiscriminate charity. Ultimately, it's about compassion for others. But more specifically is what we know is indiscriminate charity causes more problems in the world than than it creates. And things like going palm oil free, it does a couple of things, you know, and it, it, it doesn't achieve anything in, in the real world. It actually reduces the capacity for organizations to do things because people say, well, I've done my bit <laughs> and therefore they don't contribute and collectivize. So it's actually a double negative. They're not achieving anything. Uh, and secondly, they, because they feel that they've been all been told they're achieving something, then they, they, they don't actually in engage and collectivize with others to make a meaningful change. So what we're trying to do, and I call this intelligent actions, George Bernard Shaw once said is the most intelligent man I ever met was his tailor. And he asked why his tailor was the most intelligent man because he was considered a very intelligent man himself. He said, because every time I go in, he takes new measurements. In other words, he always checked for new information and made the decision based on direct observation and, and, and never relied on previous past information. So similarly, let's say we're trying to save a rainforest and somebody will come along is educating local people or they'll say planting trees. And so it's a bit like um, going to a doctor with an ailment, different ailments each time, and it gives you the same medicine, the same dosage. You realize, oh, well, what? <laughs> Hold it. You know, you, you are quack. And conservation is like that. Let's plant trees. Let's have ranges. Let's have community education. Yeah. But what you need to do is look at each ecosystem. Know about how it needs to be pieced together for the ecosystem to survive. And then you look at what the disease on the ecosystem. Does it need protection? Does it need community development? Does it need orangutan reduction to reestablish an extinct population? What is it needed? And then you diagnose the disease and put the application, the right medicine, the right dosage. And so that's what, what what's in, intelligent application. Let's say the anti-palm oil people achieve their aim and tomorrow 
palm or you know what band or what the forests still disappear mm -hmm. because essentially they're cutting the forest down for the trees and they'll plant whatever unsustainable monoculture gives them profit and if palm oil was the only thing that you can gain profit from destroying the forest you could do something but it's not they'll plant sugar palm they'll plant um, rubber they'll plant pulp paper and the same with say you stop some company from destroying the rainforest oh okay that company's no longer going to influence government to get the forest and destroy it and then there's 20 other companies that simply move in and destroy the same forest the next day you know because it's about land use planning it's about protection it's about government regulations these things which protect forests the companies may influence that yeah but there's many companies influencing that and so this is why so many good people have been working for conservation for 20 30 years and the rainforest just keeps disappearing 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 and my proposition is that we don't have time to to play anymore we need to look at each ecosystem that we can piece together and survive the this extinction crisis and apply specific knowledge and specific actions unfortunately it's really dreadful for marketing <laughs> marketing you want a simple solution plant a tree build a wall <laughs> these kind of simplistic solutions whether positive or negative capture people's imagination that's what people want in a time of crisis our psychology we want a strong man to say there's one simple solution which is going to save the tribe you know this is this is why everyone gets hoodwinked it's very appealing to the tribal mind that's why with autocratic regimes or autocrats are falling into favor now in America and England and elsewhere because our tribal brain is not fully adapted to survive in such a complex world there's no fault of anybody to just pick up on a simple solution and engage in it what we're seeing is every civilization from South America or Mesopotamia it's actually fallen down through ecological destruction of its immediate environment agriculture developed destroys the land built up in the collapse and at the end of those civilizations the wealth is concentrated into fewer fewer people more wars more violent and authoritarian rule we've seen it you know and we're doing this on a global scale and we're just following the same traditional pattern watching our civilization slowly reach the limits of its environmental impact on the surrounding environment at this stage is the whole planet and we're going to collapse in on itself. But we have the opportunity, one for a better word, spiritual and moral evolution. So we have, as human beings, this capacity to come out of that tribal framework. We have this opportunity now, so we all should just give it our best shot. Part two with icon Leif Cox next week. To learn more, check out leifcox.org, L-E-I-F, C-O-C-K-S, or theorangutanproject.org and include the word the. Orangutan is O-R-A-N-G-U-T-A-N. Don't forget to share episodes, download, subscribe, or follow this podcast. Your Positive Imprint. What's your P.I.?